going on? What's popping? What's up, boo things? This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. What's up, what's up? And I am Sabrina. And when this episode comes out, we will currently be doing our live show in Boston at Laugh Boston. Oh my Boston. gosh, yes. I was like literally going to do a little plug right now being like, come <laughs> to our show, but it's too late. We will be on whatever form of stage Laugh Boston has at this exact moment, if you're listening. At this exact moment. If you're listening when it comes out. Otherwise, it's just like, you're like, so what are we talking about? It's a Tuesday at 3 a.m. <laughs> you're not on stage in Boston. I wonder how many people listen when it first comes out. I think a couple thousand. Because like I save, I stack podcasts up, I save them for my commute. I usually do too. And But now I don't have a commute. So it's so sad that I, I have to find time to listen to them in my normal day. So like when I'm cooking, which I've been doing a lot of. I know I saw your Instagram post. <laughs> my fun employed baking adventures. Fun baking and baking cooking. Uh, I have a new podcast suggestion. For who? You and everyone oh, okay. who have probably already listened to it, but I'm late to the game. Uh-huh. Root of Evil. Oh. It is so good. Okay. What's it about? It's about the Black Dahlia case, but it's not necessarily oh. as much about the case as it is about the family who believes their relative was the murderer. Oh. He was one of the like four or five named suspects in the case. Oh, that's cool. I actually just started watching that show on TNT. Shoot, is it called? I Am the Night? I Am the Night, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but they talk a lot about it because it's kind of, they're releasing it almost in tandem. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Oh, it's so interesting. You know what? I did hear that it gets pretty messed up. I'm only on episode three, but it's already so addicting. I mean, that whole case is very messed up. And I yeah, made the mistake is. of looking up the crime scene photos and they're just so devastating. Oh, yeah. Sabrina, the Black yes. Dahlia, or... Her real name, Elizabeth Short, kind of connects the two of us together because she was from Medford, Massachusetts, which is where I moved to in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then she moved to Los Angeles to be a star. And you are in Los Angeles being a star. I thought you were going in a totally different direction. I thought you were going to tell me a story that I didn't remember about how we first bonded about the Black Dahlia case. But No. Right. <laughs> We bonded probably about something much more dumb than that. I think not liking our acting careers. I don't know. Or ghosts. It was definitely about ghosts. <laughs> or we are like, we want to go out because it's college and let's drink some Ooh, party watermelon Bacardi. Ew, I never drank Or that. no, what was it? Watermelon Smirnoff. That, was... that wasn't me. I did not <laughs> drink Smirnoff. I know, I know. But that was, I feel like that was my drink at freshman year of college. I don't drink, know why. I drank Spedka like it was. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay, wait. I, we do have something to talk about, which is not fun. No, this is it's, sad. It's a little sad. Lorraine Warren passed away yes. on oh, April 18th. Lorraine. I know. She was 92 years old, though, which is amazing. Yeah, she outlived That's a long Ed life. by quite a few years, by like yeah. two decades. Yeah. One decade. One decade. When did he die? 2004? Something or like that. Or nine, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking, but also kind of beautiful that she's now reunited with Ed, and, and she left 
they both did they left such a strong mark on this world and mm-hmm. i'm sure they will continue to do so in the afterworld absolutely i actually was reading because we we wanted to talk about her a little bit but obviously she deserves like probably her own entire podcast dedicated to just her and ed yeah but- i mean they did over 10,000 cases i know and i think every like five episodes you and I come across one where we're like, and guess who investigated yeah. it? <laughs> exactly. But so we just wanted to talk about her a little bit because, you know, she was an amazing woman who impacted so many lives, including ours and including so mm-hmm. many of our listeners. I feel like, you know, anyone who starts getting interested in the paranormal comes across their names and in right. their books. And they wrote so many. They covered so many cases. And I actually read all this stuff about their love story, which is so sweet. And apparently Lorraine, she was saying that she, in an interview, she had all these experiences since she was seven or eight years old and she could see auras around people, but she was Mm -hmm. so scared to tell anyone. And so she didn't tell anyone. She didn't tell her parents because she thought they would think that she was crazy, which is also when you're seven or eight eight years old to have that ability like to have that understanding right it's so sad to be like oh my parents won't believe what i'm experiencing and then but she if met- she hadn't had that experience she may not have gone on to be such that's the true. understanding person that she was i agree and then which is beautiful because she met ed when she was 16 years old and immediately like felt this massive connection to him and he had grown up in a haunted house and so she finally had someone she could talk to about it and connect to with it who understood it and then it just you know obviously there's so much more to their love story but it was the beginning of their massive so you're saying ghosts brought them together oh see the universe the the ghostly world brought them together and i bet you the the other realm the other side welcomed her with a big round of applause i did hear that she's uh being buried in a supposedly haunted yes i saw that it all comes full circle and it's also the cemetery which because they had done a case where they uh investigated the union what was it the union cemetery and there's the white lady in white who haunts the union cemetery and so this cemetery Mm -hmm which is called Stepney Village Cemetery in Monroe. It um, apparently serves as... Is it Connecticut? Okay. Yeah. It serves as the second home to the White Lady of Union Cemetery. So someone they actually investigated haunts that cemetery as well. That's so funny. I know. I wonder, I wonder if their spirits will connect and they'll be like, oh, you're the one that interviewed me. I hope so. That would be very cool. That would be very cool. And I love that. I mean, I think they're really famous for all their demonic cases that they investigated. Yeah, just as a refresher for people, some of the better known ones are The Conjuring, Amityville Horror, Annabelle, Annabelle, The Enfield Poltergeist, which I talked about at the Hollywood Improv show. Yeah, there's a million. There's There's so so many. many. There was one that I hadn't heard of, but it is one one of their more prominent ones. It's the demon that presented them presented itself as a werewolf did you did you know about that one no <laughs> well i guess we have to do another episode I was about say, werewolves don't say too much because okay. now i'm intrigued <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but they i mean just imagine it's one thing to be possessed because you know it comes out of nowhere it's another thing to be like i am willingly walking into this house or this place which is possessed by a demon 
and I'm going to try to help these people overcome it and escape right. it. And, and I they think- would take the haunted artifacts home. Like they yeah. took the Raggedy Ann doll that Annabelle is based, right. the movie is based off of. They took it home with right. them. Yes. Because they, yeah, I mean, it's such a self-sacrifice to be like, I, we're going to keep it safe so that no one else has to deal with this and no one else has to become victim to it. And I think that's amazing. I just can't picture their their life as being relaxing at home. <laughs> you know, I feel like they would always be on edge. It wouldn't be like, oh, let me go make myself some tea and like lay down and throw on some, uh, I yeah. don't know, like 48 hours or whatever. Or read a book. Just yeah. lay on the couch. Yeah. Open yeah. up the... The curtains and the birds are chirping. I bet no birds chirp. <laughs> it's silent. <laughs> all the animals were like, we don't want to be by all of these little haunted artifacts and all these demons and ghosts. Yeah. But yeah, well, they're they're really the pioneers. They're some of the pioneers in the investigative world and mm-hmm. did a lot of things to also try to disprove things, which yeah. I appreciate as well because... yeah. You know, for the Enfield case, they did exactly that. The church hired them to go and make sure that the case was legit and real before the church mm-hmm. got involved. Mm-hmm. There we yeah. go, Lorraine Boren. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I rest hope you're with peace. Ed and reunited. It's so sweet. It's so sad, but like I just I'm imagining similar to the Rainbow Bridge of you know mm-hmm. people waiting on the other side for their loved ones to come. I think. And I hope that's what it is. You know? It is. Well, I think it is. But <laughs> our li- remember we had a listener story where she had astral projected, like left her body. Yeah. She thought it was a dream. And she went to, she was like in this like white space. And her grandfather turned around and said, you're not supposed to be here or you're not the one I'm waiting for. And then she, the next morning she was told that her grandmother had passed away that night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's like, a really okay, good well, story. It sounds like you're greeted somehow, whatever yeah. way it's presented to you, at least you're somehow finding the ones that you walked with on Earth. Yes, I agree with that. Unless they've already been reincarnated. And what if they were already back in your life before you passed away? Perhaps. It could happen. Perhaps. I'm convinced my dog is going to come back into my life again. As a suitor, as a boyfriend? As my baby. No, as a suitor or boyfriend, that would mean I'm, I would be like super cougar. Well, they could I'd be, be born dating already. Someone twenty some years younger than me. When did wrinkles pass away? Two thousand and uh, twelve. Okay, so seven years ago. You're it's two. I. You no. never know. You could be a cougar. No. It's for plenty of people, but it's just not for me. <laughs> hey, you can't. You never know. My mom. Didn't think that she would be dating younger than her, but then her and my dad got divorced and she was dating a guy closer in age to my younger brother than to her. So, you know, it could happen. Love is love. Yeah. But if no. you're of Not age of me. consent. <laughs> love is love, but I will not. <laughs> I can't. I'm too stubborn. All right. Well, we'll see where you're at in 25 years I when you're that... seven year old. Oh, <laughs> That's <my>. so creepy. <laughs> All right, I'm oh hearing God, what, what I'm saying. It's wrong. <laughs> it's weird because, okay, I'm done. Top it out. <laughs> so kind of along with our discussion of Lorraine Warren, which fits very well into this topic of this episode, we are talking about 
haunted people. Yes. Yes. Which really includes all of you. (laughs) Yeah. Corinne and I both were like, I have no idea how to pick a story for this episode because every one, like all of them are about people being haunted. Every single email (laughs) is technically from a haunted person. Yes. (laughs) We had thousand emails to choose from. But we, we did it. We will do it. We'll, we'll figure it, it out as we always do. Yes. Yes. I believe I'm first. I never know. I just trust that you're counting because you always seem to know. So I chose to do the haunting of Heidi Weirich, which some of you may recognize the name because there was a movie called The Haunting of Connecticut 2, which features the story all about this family, the Weirich family, except for in reality, it did not take place in Connecticut. It took place in Georgia, so it's also called The Haunting in Georgia. And we've all heard stories of children laughing and talking to an invisible or imaginary friend. And then also, like, we've talked about this, like, where most children are told that whoever they're talking to isn't real. And so if they're seeing ghosts, they then grow out of it or they try to hide it because they because society makes us believe that ghosts aren't real and that it's not normal to see them. Which we are trying to change. Are we trying to change it or are we just doing what we do? And (laughs) hopefully there's a ripple effect. We're advocating for openly talking about ghosts. Yeah, that's true. We are. Actually, I met someone the other day that fully did not believe. So much so that she couldn't even fathom. She just repeatedly said, wait, so you don't actually believe in them though, right? And I kept saying, yes, (laughs) I do. And she was like, but how? But how? No, it's just your mind making things up. And I was like, whatever. Yeah, you do, I mean, you girl. But I believe I. I feel like there are three types of people when it comes to ghosts: the ones who, when you talk about ghosts, think you're absolutely bananas; the ones who believe you 100 percent and don't question you whatsoever; or the people who skeptically believe you but haven't had the own their own experiences, so they're kind of on the border. Right. But everyone, no matter what your beliefs are, we all, I think can agree that ghost stories are the most fun they are wait okay i have to tell you this because i just got drinks i know this is a tangent but and i promise i'll get back to the story but two episodes ago we talked about the uss nimitz account encounter in this aliens episode Mm -hmm. and i went to get drinks with our friend i don't know if you know him but matt thompson he's a year younger than me he has a production company called the mats and he just directed a entire thing for the History Channel, which comes out May. I'm sorry. He directed something for the History Channel and he didn't cast us in it? Well, I'll, I'll get there. Who was but... playing the aliens? I want to know. <laughs> it comes out May 31st. It's called Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation. And it talks about the USS Nimitz encounter. And it's all about this guy, Tom, who started To the Stars Academy. And he... Basically, there was this guy who worked for the government in a alien investigation sector, and the mm-hmm. government kept kind of shutting down his investigations and not bringing it to the higher levels because people are set in their ways, and they're like, no, this isn't real. The higher people don't need to know about this. So he was like, I can't do my job. Like, the government hired me to do this, and I can't do it. So he went and met with Tom and decided to start their own public sector of this and so the documentary like they talk to government officials and military officials including people you talked about in the USS Nimitz encounter and it's all these well to do kind of official members of the government who have seen and experienced alien encounters for themselves that is so cool I'm 100% watching this show yes 
I'm so excited. And I feel like all of our fans would love it. Yes. But wow. okay. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Tangent over. I promise I'm, I'll, I'll only talk about this from here on out. Okay. So yeah. So, you know, children, most children do grow out of seeing ghosts because of a wide variety of reasons. But what about the people and children like Lorraine who don't grow out of it and it becomes their everyday life and they're seeing spirits everywhere they go and sometimes they can't distinguish between ghosts and humans because they all look the same. Oh my god. So this is a story about that. But it starts. I can't even fathom what that would be like. Yeah. I mean, you see see ghosts still. Yeah, but not so much that. Right. I mean, it's for fleeting moments or like the most, the maximum amount of time I'll see someone before realizing that they're not there is like three seconds. But so, okay, this story starts on December 23rd, 1988, when Lisa and Andy Wyrick, along with their three-year-old daughter, Heidi, moved to Ellerslie, Ellerslie, I think that's how you say it, Georgia, which is a small town near Columbus, Georgia, and part of Harris County, which is actually well known for two highly publicized accounts of the paranormal activity, the first being Heidi Wyrick, and then the other is about a man who literally vanished into thin air while on the job as a land surveyor. I love which, these stories. I, I mean, know. it's horrible that that happens to someone, but... Right, which we won't talk about today, but maybe in the future. But anyway, so... The Wyricks move into their new home and all is well. Heidi loved having a backyard to play in. And so she was perfectly happy and a sweet, young, only child who would just, you know, entertain herself. And December and January go by as normal. But then sometime in February of 1989, Lisa noticed Heidi talking to someone who wasn't there. And Heidi was playing outside as usual. And she came back inside and Lisa's like, who were you playing with out there? And Heidi goes, I was playing with the man outside. And so Lisa's like, uh, that's a little weird. Why is there an older man playing with my three-year-old daughter? Mm-hmm. And so she asks Heidi more questions. What does this man look like? What's his name? And Heidi begins to explain him in very detail, in very vivid detail, saying he was an elderly man with gray hair. He was wearing a black suit and a tie and had a tall hat on. And so Lisa's now like, okay, maybe I didn't see the guy, but maybe he was kind of standing behind some trees and talking to my daughter. What if he's trying to abduct her? She panics. She locks all the doors. She closes all the windows. She grabs a butcher knife and she calls her husband Andy. And Lisa and Heidi hide together until Andy arrives home. So Andy searches the neighborhood for a man that fit the description that Heidi gave but couldn't find anyone. And so he continues to ask Heidi more questions like, did the man give you a name? And she goes, his name is Mr. Gordy. He pushes me on the swing and likes my dolls. That's kind of nice. Yes, I agree. I thought, so I was, in the beginning, I thought this was going to be a really sweet story because, well, I'll get there. I thought it was going to be really sweet and then it kind of turns a little bit in the middle. But, so Andy and Lisa start going to their neighbors and asking if the neighbors knew a man named Mr. Gordy, but no one did. And so they were a little skeptical. Maybe they, maybe Heidi had an imaginary friend. Maybe she just, you know, she's an only child and she could be a little lonely in making up this person. But whoever Mr. Gordy was, he didn't leave and quickly became a large part of the Wyrick family's lives. So every day Heidi would come inside from playing and nonstop talk about Mr. Gordy. And Lisa would watch through the kitchen window as Heidi would talk out loud to some unseen force and... She sometimes would appear to be holding hands with, like, nothing. 
like holding her hand in a certain way that looked like she was holding someone else's hand. And at first, (laughs) I know. And at first, the activity remained outside of the home. But then Mr. Gordy made his way inside of the house and Heidi wouldn't really leave her room and she would constantly be laughing and singing as if she wasn't alone. And then Lisa was like, Heidi, you have to come downstairs and eat meals. You can't only be in your room. Like we have to spend time together. But Heidi kind of became consumed by Mr. Gordy and everything she did, she needed two of. She needed two sandwiches, two cookies, two milks for Mr. Gordy because he was hungry too. Mm -hmm. And so Lisa's pretty convinced that Mr. Gordy's an imaginary friend. And so she didn't want to discourage Heidi's imagination. So she would comply and give Heidi two milks, two cookies, two sandwiches, whatever it was that day. And then Heidi would take them up to her room and close the door and resume chatting to Mr. Gordy. And Lisa would just kind of stand there and listen. And sometimes it felt like there was a response coming back. Like it was Heidi's voice and someone else's voice. And so she would open the door But there would be no one aside from Heidi in the room. And, you know, aside from the initial fear of like, oh my gosh, someone's trying to abduct my daughter, it kind of became this sweet, endearing Mr. Gordy who who kept Heidi company. Mm -hmm. And Lisa just wanted to, to talk to a doctor to make sure it was normal. And a doctor said it's perfectly normal. Actually, kids at that age, it's healthy to create imaginary friends. But one day, Heidi was sitting in the living room and there was a knock on the door. And so she gets up, she opens the door, and kind of chats to someone and then closes the door. And Lisa comes into the main room and asks, who was it? And so Heidi looks at her mom and says, a man with the white shirt, his name's Khan. He had blood all over his shirt and had a bandage on his hand. Like, just super casually, like. Yeah. Yeah, he's just super bloody and torn up. No big deal. And Lisa freaks out, like, no, 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 that's not cool. So she grabs a knife and puts... Heidi in the room closes the door and then Lisa goes and circles the entire house with her knife, but no one was there. And so Lisa and Andy now are starting to worry that their daughter is lonely and imagining too many and also a little bit darker of these imaginary friends. So they get her a dog, they try to arrange play dates, but it doesn't stop Heidi from talking with her friends. And a year goes by and Heidi is still talking about Mr. Gordy. Two years go by and Mr. Gordy is still all that Heidi can talk about. And so around the same time, two years after the family had first moved in to this house, Lisa's sister decides to move to Arislyle and buys the property right next to the Wyricks. She moves in and a few months later, the previous owners came by to drop off the rest of the paperwork and the old deeds and all that, you know, the moving paperwork Mm -hmm, where you buy a new home, you get all that stuff. And as Lisa's sister is reviewing the paperwork, she looks down and on the bottom of the deed was a signature of a man named Mr. James S. Gordy. No way. (laughs) So Lisa's sister, I know. Lisa's sister comes running over to Lisa. She shows her the deed. Look at the name. And they both kind of lose it. Like, who is this? Where is he now? Why is my daughter? How did my daughter know? And so... Lisa's sister actually goes, you know, I asked the old tenants and they said that Mr. Gordy died in 1974 on that property that Lisa's sister had bought. So this man that they thought was an imaginary friend of Heidi's was real. He was the ghost of dead Mr. Gordy, which obviously all of the people listening to this podcast knew. 
Um, but he was real. And and their and Heidi, Lisa's daughter, could see him. And you know what? The more I think about it, I, I mean, maybe I'm just completely off base because I don't have a child, so I don't know how they they work. But I would <laughs> I would <laughs> I would think that a child, if they made up an imaginary friend, they would say like, "Oh, this is my friend, like Katie or whatever," just like a, a first name, right? Not Mister, like a very formal way of addressing someone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you grow up addressing all older people as Mr. or Mrs., you, I could understand why an imaginary friend That's could be true. that. true. I forget. I'm from a hippie neighborhood. <laughs> we didn't have Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, Yeah. I mean, also, I feel like it's not, for people who don't naturally believe in ghosts, it's not your first, it's not the first explanation you would jump to. But so Lisa and Andy really didn't know what to do with this information or how to address the situation. So they themselves reach out to the previous tenants of their of Lisa's sister's home and they ask them questions and her name is Catherine Ledford who was the previous owner and she said that she'd known Mr. Gordy when she was a young kid but she didn't think she had any photos of him but she was like you know I do have a bunch of old photo albums from that neighborhood and my family if you want me to bring it by and if you if you think that will help I'll bring it so she does and Heidi begins going through the album and then she stops on a photo of a man with a bandage on his hand. She's like, I know this man. His name is Khan. He was at our front door. And Catherine looks at Lisa and Heidi in shock because the man was her uncle and his name was Lon, which is very similar to Khan. And he lived in the town when he, he was a young man. He lost his hand before he was 20 years old in a cotton gin, which would explain the bandage on his hand. Mm-hmm. And then he later died of cancer in 1957. Oh. So it's another piece of evidence that young Heidi was seeing ghosts of the deceased. She's Lon and also Mr. Gordy. And so now Lisa's kind of, you know, with any any parent of a child who is seeing ghosts, you kind of start to, how do you, how do you handle it? You know, you don't want to tell them it's not real, but you also don't, you also want to protect them and you want to mm-hmm. keep them from seeing any darker entities or from it consuming them. And so she was like, okay, well, maybe maybe Heidi will get over it as long as we kind of have open communication and Heidi can talk to us. It probably will be helpful for her. But four years later, Heidi's still seeing ghosts, still talking to Mr. Gordy and Lon. But in 1993, things kind of shift from Heidi seeing good spirits only to some darker entities visiting. Uh. And this coincided with the exact time Lisa got pregnant with Heidi's younger sister. And there was one night, it was late, and Lisa woke to the screams coming from the middle of their hallway, and it was Heidi. And so she rushes out into the hallway and sees Heidi hysterically crying, terrified, and on the floor. And so when Heidi finally calms and settles down, she tells her mom that she saw a dark, faceless figure in the hallway. And it was not like the other spirits she had been seeing. The entity terrified her and its appearance kept, it it just intensified and every, it kept coming more and more and Mm -hmm. then it became more violent. The cabinets would open and close on their own. And similar to most poltergeist stories or noisy ghost stories, it was doing a lot of that, but it was, it brought about a negative energy and everyone kind of in the house felt uneasy. And then 
In February of 1994, Heidi's sister Jordan was born and then immediately the visitations took a horrifying turn. So it's almost like the entities weren't happy that another life was going to be brought in there, which is so interesting. Or maybe it was like Heidi was at the perfect age where a darker entity felt like it could, I don't know, take over her or maybe it's because maybe when you're an only child, I mean, I was not an only child, but I feel like when siblings are born, there's this feeling of what about me? I'm not the baby anymore. And so maybe a darker entity was like, this is my perfect opportunity to be like, well, I love you. I'll take care of you. Yeah. Just slide on in when no one else is paying attention. Exactly. Except for it wasn't very sneaky because everyone was paying attention. So one morning, Heidi walks into the kitchen and Lisa turns around to look at her and she screamed because Heidi had these three deep gashes down her face. And Andy told Lisa that Heidi probably did it to herself while sleeping, which clearly pissed off the entity. And that very night, it did to Andy what it had done to Heidi. And so Andy wakes up in the middle of the night with a searing pain and notices he has three claw mark gashes on his side. And he's like, okay, this is weird. And then it happens again the very next night. But this time, he wakes up with gashes down his back. Three claw marks. Again, the next night, so this is the third night in a row, it happens again. But this time, the marks are down his chest. So he has three nights in a row, he has the same experience. And now, after the third day, he has claw marks on his side, his chest, and his back. And he was like, this is real. This is terrifying. This entity clearly wants credit for what what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't give it that, it's now attacking me. And... The family, all of them are terrified. And Heidi was like, I miss the friendly ghosts. And this darker entity made her physically ill. It made her sick to her stomach. Lisa began hearing gravelly voices late in the night. And she would be paralyzed with fear until the voices dissipated. And so it became so terrifying that on certain nights, the whole family would flee and stay at hotels or stay with their family friends. Because it was just so toxic and terrifying and horrific, which I feel like. I would flee my house too (laughs) easily. Mm -hmm. And so Andy and Lisa called in the help of a notable parapsychologist whose name is Dr. William Roll. And William Roll is kind of, he's pretty infamous for being a skeptical believer in the paranormal and someone who believed there was a scientific explanation for all paranormal instances. But when he met Heidi, he, he believed it was a paranormal occurrence. And he did all these tests on Heidi to to test the authenticity of the case and he thought Heidi was the real deal and so William informed the Wyricks that Heidi was a channel for the spiritual world and had ESP and Lisa and Andy are a little terrified about that and they were like well we should move then like this house is obviously what's causing it because it all started when we moved into this house we should move out and William was like I am very sorry to tell you but that won't change anything because Heidi's abilities will follow her wherever they go she cannot run from it it's a part of who she is and it probably came through her family line so he starts asking Lisa and Andy all these questions and Lisa it kind of brings back memories for Lisa when she was a young kid she grew up near the Trail of Tears and she actually had some ghostly encounters when she was a young kid but then she grew out of it like she used to hear screams in the middle of the night which were probably residual hauntings and then she would see ghostly apparitions along the trail and so she was like okay well maybe I gave this to my daughter 
basically the evil entities started to settle down and weren't as prominent but obviously in the movies that it was in, it became worse. Mm-hmm. But the story was broadcast globally. It was featured on a Discovery Channel documentary called Haunting in Georgia. It was also on paranormal shows like Most Haunted and Unsolved Mysteries. It also inspired the film, like I said, Haunting Connecticut, which has Chad Michael Murray in it. And Heidi is 33 now, and she continues to see and communicate with spirits. But she hasn't fully learned how to deal with it. And she says that most of the time she keeps it to herself because she tried to be open about it and talk to people about it and said that she'd have some people who believed her and others who would just like make her feel like shit and she she lost some friends from it. Now she only tells her family and she moved from that house in Harris County but still continues to see visions all over her new home. And she says not a day goes by where she didn't wish her life could be normal because every day... She wishes that things would, wouldn't have happened because her life would be so different and I wouldn't be known for something like this and how she just sees ghosts everywhere and it's kind of, she just said it can be terrifying and she can tell when an entity is evil and those are the worst feelings. Mm-hmm. And so she tries to block it out, but it's very difficult. And so as I was doing research, I Facebook searched Heidi Wyrick and obviously I feel like the real Heidi Wyrick because she's known for this probably changed her name on Facebook but there is someone named Heidi Weirich on Facebook and her I clicked on her and in her intro it says I am not the same Heidi Weirich who is famous for ghost encounters so it's clear that she gets it all the time um but if you want to know more there's actually a book all about Heidi's story it's called The Veil Heidi Weirich's Story and it's by Joyce Kathy who is Heidi's aunt and then there are all the documentaries if you want to watch them as well oh my gosh what a life I know. Well, it reminds me of that story we read in like the very beginning of this podcast about the girl and her friend who went to that little farmhouse and and how her friend can't go anywhere without seeing spirits. I just don't even know what it would I can't even just going back to the very beginning of the story, I can't even fathom how scary it would be to to find out the the imaginary friend that your daughter has is actually real i know and then think back to all the time she was holding someone's hand yeah realizing that the person was literally right there yeah okay this the sweet part of this is that mr gordy his daughter reached out to heidi and was like can you tell my dad that i say hi and i love him and so (gasps) heidi it was really sweet and so heidi was able to do that and his daughter actually recently passed away. But um, but yeah, so like that aspect of it is beautiful and so sweet. And I think, I mean, I don't have those abilities, so I don't know. But there are probably so many pros and cons. Like, yes, you it's have like the, the show Medium with Patricia Arquette. Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes it's scary, but sometimes you can really help spirits and you can help other people too. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fascinating. Very fascinating. So way back when, when we did Haunted Celebrities, I'm not sure if this was in our episode or if I just said this to you separately, but there was a celebrity that I couldn't remember her name, so I didn't do her. Yes. And then I asked my mom, and she knew who I was talking about. So I'm doing The Haunting of Carney Wilson. I don't know her. And this episode could be... Be considered haunted celebrities because she is a celebrity. She is the daughter of Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Oh, okay. 
And she was in the band Wilson Phillips with her younger sister, Wendy. And then their friend, China Phillips, was uh, also in the band. And China was the daughter of uh, both both of her parents were in the Mamas and the Papas. Oh, cool. Yeah. They sang. uh, Okay, I don't know the words, but I can sing you the tune. And then you'll know. Because do you know any of their music? You definitely do. I don't think I do. It goes I'm like, so bad at music. Someday somebody's going to make you say goodbye. Oh, make you I cry. do I Don't you know? Okay. I think I know it. But All right. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I get like a D minus on that. Okay. But anyway, their band was very successful because they were good at singing. <laughs> and they had three number one singles and six top 20 hits before oh, they damn. decided to break up their band in 1993 but then they got back together again in 2004 and they released a third album and carney herself released some solo singles and albums as well so she was like this poppin musician a lot of people knew who she was but we're not here to talk about carney's music career are we no we're not we are here because carney was haunted she was on the show the haunting of dot 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 which is where I saw her, and me and my mom were watching this episode together years ago, which is how we know about Carney's haunting. Mm. Uh, but she went on the show to tell her story and to get help from Kim Russo, who was the medium on the the show. So let's go back and learn a little bit about why she was on the okay. show and what the haunting was. Sounds good. So this story starts back in the early 2000s. Carney's husband, Robert Bonfiglio or rob she had just married him recently and he was also a musician and at the time he was producing or putting out some music so he was working with a producer sylvia who had a studio up in a small town in california it was in the very north of california the town is called weed california wow and (laughs) the studio had previously been a movie theater but sylvia had converted it into this studio so it was like pretty cool like different type of studio like definitely separate from what you might see in a typical studio in LA Mm -hmm. so a lot of bands liked to go up and go through there and just work with her and be in this kind of like different environment that's cool but at the time that Carney's husband was going up to do this Carney was actually going through a bit of a tough time herself she was drinking too much she was feeling really depressed and she didn't want to be away from her husband for the few months that he would have spent up in Weed, California to mm-hmm. record. So Carney was like, well, I will go with you. And so she decided to go up there with him and move into the studio. In the studio, they have this little tiny apartment that's attached where artists can stay. But it's it's like nothing special. It's like this little dinky little apartment i mean it's it's not really meant to be like luxury living right there's two separate twin beds and so her and her husband slept in separate beds like these twin beds next to each other and they also carney noted that it just smelled really really old which makes sense it was an old theater it was an old building so it was just it was an interesting spot and carney didn't really love the spot but she wanted to be with her husband and she was more reassured when she was told that the Red Hot Chili Peppers had stayed there and a lot of other big names had passed through the recording studio. So she was like, okay, maybe I'm just thinking of this space wrong. Maybe it's super cool, even though it's kind of giving me the creeps. But 
she soon learned that the space had more than just big-named musicians passing through. There were spirits, Mm. particularly one spirit who didn't take a liking to Carney. And one night, her and her husband were both asleep in their room. They had been cuddling in, in his bed before. And then when it was time to go to sleep, Carney moved over to her bed, her twin bed. And she awoke a while later because the covers were violently ripped off of her. And her legs were filled with the feeling of a thousand little needle pricks what? all over. And she was absolutely terrified. And she slept very little that night. And she just felt like it was an attack, like it was aggressive. And so she was so nervous, and then the next day she wanted to just, you know, participate in some self-soothing, and one of the things Carney really liked to do was to cook. So she was like, okay, today, to just help me feel better and try to wrap my mind around what happened, I'm just going to distract myself Mm -hmm. a little bit and have some alone time thinking in the kitchen. I'm going to whip up this big Indian meal for my husband and I and Sylvia and her husband, and then we'll all eat and just enjoy our dinner and I'll just ignore <laughs> that night is to come again. Ugh. So at dinner, they're eating, they're having a good time. But then Sylvia, the music producer who owns this studio, suddenly asks, inquires if they'd seen the ghost yet. And Carney freaks out and she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> and Sylvia's like, oh, yeah, there's been a bunch of artists who have like come through passed on by and they all claim to see a man and then carney decides to tell her what happened and about the violent encounter that she had the night before and sylvia just felt awful and then she's decided to tell them what she knew about the ghost the backstory that she had collected and the story had been passed down so they weren't exactly sure what was real or what wasn't real but the story went that back in the early 1900s there was a very angry man who lived there he was a barber he was an alcoholic he wasn't the best at his job due to the alcoholism he would often like nip people and cut their parts of their ears off he wasn't great at what he what did. but in the basement of that building it was said that he died by suicide uh. So this is the person that they think that might have attacked Carney. So then Carney and her husband, they just go about their time there. And after a couple months, everything's wrapped up and they move home. But Carney's still so shaken up from this experience and it really affected her life and it changed her life. The direction that her life went changed. It shifted and she was just like, she wasn't at peace with what happened. And so she wanted to get the help from Kim Russo, who is the medium on the show so she goes on to the show nine years after this experience and meets with kim and they actually meet there at the location separately Mm -hmm. and immediately as kim is getting driven to the location and arrives at the location kim gets these images of an angry man with black rimmed glasses and she also sees a bunch of different spirits there's multiple spirits and she sees piles of dead bodies oh my gosh these are the images being put into her mind. That is terrifying. And so Kim's like, ah, I just have a feeling that this place was more than just a theater, more than just a barbershop, more than just a recording studio. So then she meets Carney there, and then they meet with Sylvia, who still owns the recording studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, they notice that Sylvia outside has put up a for sale sign. 
And they ask her, they say, why are you selling? Does it have anything to do with the ghosts? And I'm sure there's a million reasons as to why she was selling it. But she did say that 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 had something to do with it, that there were plenty of strange things that were always happening there. Mm. And so that definitely took a toll. And it's a recording studio. Think about all the technology and all the glitches and things that can go wrong. And it's like, that costs a lot of money, you know? Yeah. You want to be as ghost-free as possible when you're recording. Yeah, that's <coughs> true. Hint, ghost <laughs> who's on our recording equipment. Although sometimes it's fun to get some EVPs. Sometimes it's fun. It's fun for uh, for hours because we're not we're not you two. <laughs> we're not Ariana Grande. Right, and we're not we're not um, hearing it as we're recording. It's after the after the fact. True. True. Yep. Yeah. We don't hear it. Our listeners hear yeah, it and then exactly. point it out, and then we freak out. Yeah. So Sylvia's putting it on the market, and she just said that. You know, some things were going on, but in the end, she was going to turn the keys over to someone else and someone else would take on the property. But in talking to Sylvia more, they learned that the place had actually been the Upton's Mortuary back in 1925. Mm. So that would explain Kim's visions of the stacked up bodies when she was driving in. I was thinking Sweeney Todd and the... The barber shop. Barber shop. Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Little, uh... Beef sandwiches Ooh, for the you. town. Mm. Tasty, tasty. <laughs> <laughs> is this is why you're a vegetarian? Is it tasty, tasty? Is that what you're trying to eat? I don't eat lamb because lamb, to me, tastes like what I envisioned humans to taste like. And it's disgusting and I can't get past it. Interesting. I wonder where that came from for you. I don't know. I must have eaten a human in a past life and that maybe is what it tasted like. Ew. And so the first time I ate lamb and I... Euro, I was like, oh, disgusting. <laughs> Sent back to a past life. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so Kim's justified in the vision that she has. Um, and then Sylvie is also telling them all, all about all of the different sightings. She says that there's been sightings in literally every single part of the building, in the office, in the studio, in the building, in the attached apartment, like everywhere. Wow. She said that twice she brought in a native american shaman to cleanse the space but it actually only made it worse and the spirits were more active after that and the energy went very bad she said a lot of bad things happened there bands have broken up there people have had nervous breakdowns there and a lot of people have had encounters there just like carney did so with this knowledge carney and kim grab the keys from Sylvia, and they go to explore the building a bit more, hoping to find some answers. Carney's hoping to find some closure. Mm-hmm. So they both immediately are drawn into the theater. And once there, Kim is given a message what? from a spirit. And the spirit coming through is Carney's grandmother. <gasps> and Carney's grandmother told Kim that Carney asked her to accompany her today and protect her. And Whoa. Kim's like, did you ask your grandma to come? And Carney starts, like, getting really excited. And she goes, I did. I did. <laughs> I did ask her to come with me. And she's so excited because her grandma shows up. Right. And then she gets very emotional because her grandma is, like, Kim is telling her what her grandma looks like and all the messages that her grandma is sending through her. And she's just getting very, rightfully so, mm. she's getting very emotional. Mm-hmm. So they're talking a bit in the theater And then some other stuff is coming through. And suddenly, maybe because of a little bit of FOMO, 
her other grandma shows up to give her messages. So now she's got, Carney's got both grandmas backing her here. Wow. Backing her in the spot that was one of the scariest moments of her life. This paranormal encounter she had nine years prior in a very dark time in her life. Wow. So while all of this is happening, Kim is also watching a spirit, the spirit of a young man who was a musician who had also died by suicide. And he seemed a bit confused. He seemed to think he still worked there. He was like going back and forth, like touching equipment. And Kim was given the knowledge that his name is Jay, but that he goes by another name. And Carney, being in the music industry and having been in that studio before and knowing Sylvia, immediately knew who this person was. It was actually Jared. Jay was Jared, who went by another name. Mm. Wade. He went by Wade. And he had worked there. And he completed suicide by placing himself in front of an oncoming train. Oh, that's so sad. Yes. And it kind of, like, some of the spirits that they come in in contact with, it just, the whole place kind of reminds me a little bit of Haunting of the Hill House. Mm. Because at one point, Kim, as she's reading the energy and communicating with the spirits she says this place sucks them in and it maybe doesn't let them out oh oh that gives me chills yeah it's creepy and in the same moment that she's saying this she gets drawn to the basement which is where they learn that a man had died in a fire who possibly lit the fire himself whoa there's so many deaths in that property so many so many deaths and this building is just filled with spirits it's filled with horrible accidents and incidents and just darkness and it's just a home base for all this negative energy and it it sucks in all of the vulnerable people and it tries to destroy them and it's just kind of ironic that the people i mean musicians are already the ones that people often say Mm -hmm. do experience some of the feelings of loneliness or struggle with depression I, I think anyone who is in a position like that where you know you have all of this pressure and celebrity status it's hard not to fall in right into that a bit and it's this is the place that they are supposed to go to produce their music and then it's just like the worst place that they could be at right. for them at that time so all of this is happening and Carney admits that in the time that she was there She was in a very low place and she was more vulnerable and that she did experience some dark thoughts when it came to like her own life. But she told Kim that she thought that she was targeted by the spirit of the barber who had completed suicide. And that's who she thought ripped the blankets off of her and pins and needles, put pins and needles into her legs. But Kim thought differently. She was like, "Mm, I don't think so. I'm not picking that up. And when they enter into the room where Carney and her husband had slept, Kim got the feeling that something had tugged on Carney's legs. So before this, before this point, Carney had just said she had an experience here. She never told her exactly what happened. And then when they're in the room, Carney goes, should I tell you what happened? And Kim's like, well, I'm just getting the feeling that like someone tugged on your legs. And Carney's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Oh. And so she tells her the whole story. But Kim's like, no, I'm not seeing the barber. And then when that's happening, when they're in there and discussing things, instead she saw one of Carney's family members who had 
been an alcoholic and who had died of a heart attack. And she described this man. This was a man with dark rimmed glasses. And she said this relative, this relative of Carney, who had been an alcoholic, had died of a heart attack and was wearing dark rimmed glasses, was the one who pulled the blankets off and put pins and needles into her legs. Hmm. And in that moment, one of the grandmothers who had accompanied Carney on this journey in spirit form pushed this man forward so that Kim could see him. And it was her husband, Maury, Carney's grandfather. And he fit this description exactly. Whoa. So her grandpa was the one who attacked her this night. That's wild. Nine years thinking it was some random spirit and it was her own grandfather. And so finally she gets some closure because she finds out why her grandfather did it. Her grandpa, Carney's grandpa, knew that Carney was drinking and that she was feeling depressed. And he himself went through that same thing in his life. And he really didn't want her to make the same mistakes that he had made in his life. And he also knew at the time that she really wanted a baby, but there was no way in hell that was going to happen on the path that she was on. She needed to sober up. She needed to, you know, do a 180 and be kicked into the right direction. And so the spirit of her grandpa, who she described as being kind of like a scary and stern and very straightforward guy, he decided to scare her straight in that one night. And it totally worked. Wow. Because after that paranormal encounter, Carney like really dug deep and, you know, was thinking about her life and everything that was happening. And her life changed. She got sober. She ended up conceiving a child in that same room that they were at when in the recording studio. And her life became happier. It became brighter. So much happened in that one little period of time in her life. And it just took a few years and meeting with a medium to realize that the paranormal encounter was the turning point in her life. Right. And it wasn't a terrifying attack like she had thought. Well, I mean, it was a terrifying attack, but it wasn't done by an angry spirit. Right. But rather, it was a visit from her grandpa who tried aggressively to turn her life around. He saved her life. Perhaps maybe he didn't execute it well or do it in the best of ways. (laughs) But regardless, he did it and saved Carney Wilson. And that is the haunting and the continued haunting of Carney Wilson and all of the relatives that follow her and look after her. I mean, that's kind of incredible. There's so many ups and downs in that story and – I mean, regardless of the fact that it's her family in the in the specific instances, there are clearly so many spirits in that recording studio. Mm-hmm. But with her grandpa, I feel like sometimes the best way to get a message across is by doing something so intense because it finally it like it like wakes you up, you know? Right, and especially too, she was. She did have a drinking problem and Mm -hmm. she was really depressed. And I think she was so deep into a certain state that just a small poke or a small nudge, she wouldn't have picked up on that. Right. Yeah. Wow. Isn't it wild? And I think it's hilarious that his wife, her grandmother, like shoved him forward like, hey, tell the medium what you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because she was like, I mean, (laughs) Tattletale. I love that she got the answers. Like, I think so many stories there is no answer and you don't know mm-hmm. why something happened to you so I love that she was able to find out that what she once thought was terrifying was actually a very kind gesture from it was yeah well there were 
good intentions yes. behind the act. <laughs> Correct. It just, you know, it was horrifying to experience. <laughs> and then you're like, why? Why did you do that one? Right. Why didn't you just fill my door with monarch butterflies or just something yeah. equally as traumatic without scaring the living shit out of me? <laughs> but I mean, I'm ad- I adamantly believe that scary or not the events that you have in your life then inform how you live moving forward and it sounds like that one moment sent her on a journey that went one way whereas had she not had that her life probably would have gone a different way exactly in a negative way yeah and she was already in a bad place and then being put into a place that's notorious for making bad things worse Mm -hmm. so maybe she did it was almost like a way for not only for her grandfather to help her turn her life around but to also kick her straight before other things and energies could get to her right and it gave her her a little bit of protection it gave her this thing to do you know it gave her this this thing to look into and this experience to yeah I mean she fully she she reached out to people. She was having more interactions with people and she was investigating the ghosts in that studio, which gave her kind of, I don't know, gave her life back, gave her something to be mm-hmm. preoccupied by. Right. Wow. Ay, ay, ay. That's well, great. I'm so glad you remembered and were able to figure out who you were talking about the oh, last I time. Oh, I didn't remember at all. Deb. We can thank Deborah. Deb. You're great. I just said, who was that haunted celebrity? And she goes, Carney Wilson. And I said, yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> we watched we watched the episode like nine years ago. So well, amazing yeah. that she knew. Well, then you're like me. Our memories are fading. We don't remember oh, anything. Yeah. I remember nothing. But it does suck because I feel like I tell you the same story like three times because I forget who I tell things too i don't care i i love hearing any form of ghost (laughs) stories i mean i mean there are times where we get listener stories and i retell them to people over and over because they're so whether they're scary or just heartwarming they're you know yeah they stick with me i'm like do you get it yeah yeah (laughs) have you really absorbed it (laughs) i need to tell it to you again because you need to you need to get it the way i get it but well speaking of that let's Read some of our haunted people, our haunted yes. listeners' emails. Yes. Okay. So I have, um, I'm pretty sure you did this. It's also similar to, it's a celebrity haunting. You did the story about Robert Johnson, right? The musician? Or did I do that? You know, I don't know. I think, I think you did it, but I very easily could have been the one who did it. So. <laughs> oh, I did it. Okay. That's what I thought. But I did it. Okay. I didn't get it just on Robert Johnson, but. Uh, yeah yeah robert johnson's pact with the devil correct okay so this yes this is from beck and she says my deal with the devil dot 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 almost hello ladies have i got a weird one for you tell me what you think so i was in my kitchen washing dishes one afternoon thinking about your story of robert johnson the jazz musician from new orleans and i turned to my partner ryan who was drying dishes next to me and said Would you sell your soul to the devil to get anything and everything you wanted? He turned to look at me with that what the actual fuck look on his face. He absolutely hates anything scary or supernatural. He even hid his face in an episode of Pretty Little Liars that I was watching one day. (laughs) Wait, Pretty Little Liars is very scary. Yes, it has scary moments. 
He knew by the look on my face that I was actually looking for a reply. So he rolled his eyes and said, not a chance. Fuck that. I laughed and asked him why not. And he just shook his head. LOL. After a minute or two of silence, I said, I would. He looked at me confused. (laughs) (laughs) He looked at me confused like he'd already forgotten what we were talking about. And I clarified, I'd sell my soul to the devil to get everything I want. (laughs) (laughs) I respect that so much. I love how honest she is, you know? Yeah, just like, yeah, no, I think it sounds like a good deal. (laughs) (laughs) He just laughed and said, you're crazy and left it at that. That night, I had a nightmare. I dreamt that I had woken up in my bed, Ryan sleeping next to me. It was dark and my eyes took a moment to adjust as I sat up in bed. Turning to look at my bedroom doorway, I jumped and instantly felt terrified. There was a seven-foot human-shaped figure made of black smoke standing right in the doorway, staring at me. There were only two sections of of this thing that weren't made of smoke. Its long, sharp fingernails and its long, sharp teeth, which were now visible as it smiled at me. Without speaking, I suddenly knew what it wanted. It was there to make the deal. The deal for my soul that I had said aloud earlier that day. I was frozen with fear. It started to raise its hand slowly and pointing its long arse fingers directly at Ryan and I knew. The price was Ryan. I looked at Ryan in a panic and wrapped my arms around his still fast asleep head and screamed no in my head. You can't have him. When I turned back to face the doorway, the evil thing was no longer there. It was now leaning directly over my edge of the bed, its face and horrible sharp teeth inches from mine. It was angry. I was frozen as it pushed down on my chest with its fingertips, forcing me into the bed and inching its face in closer. My eyes sprung open. I was awake. The black figure was gone, but I was completely paralyzed in my bed, still feeling the immense pressure on my chest where it had been pushing down on me. I started to panic. My heart was beating like crazy, and I couldn't breathe. I was stuck there for what I felt what felt like ages when I was finally able to move. I sat up, covered in sweat, clutching my chest, and breathing quickly. I had never had a nightmare or even a dream where I was in my own bed like that before, nor had I ever experienced sleep paralysis before. I'm not sure what to make of it, but it was petrifying. When I finally went back to sleep, I had a second nightmare where I had a stick lodged in the top of my head and had to slowly pull it out. When I got up, I swear I could still feel it for like an hour afterwards. Thanks for reading my story. Feel free to share if you'd like. Beck from Australia. P.S. I did tell Ryan that I didn't give him up to get everything I wanted. He rolled his eyes and laughed. No brownie points for me. Ha ha. <laughs> Ryan, she just saved your soul. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I really wonder. I'm more curious about the stick dream after because it almost makes me think it was like a mark, you know, like she's marked as one of the ones who didn't. Right. Or if it, it, it kind of is almost reminiscent of Christianity in a way where Jesus was, you know, like the stake. Yeah, like the the thorns on his head and the yeah, and his yeah, hands like being she nailed stood up, up for Ooh. her life and the light. Yeah, I mean it definitely She's sounds... been marked as one of the ones that didn't fall victim to the devil. Right. It also sounds like to me, and it could be. I I like your theory better, but I think 
since it came right after that first dream, it was like a punishment of sorts of like, you might not give me your soul, but I can still hurt you. Right. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That's probably more accurate. No, I like yours better. (laughs) (laughs) As usual, you go with the dark side and I try to figure out what is less scary so that I can sleep tonight. (laughs) I, I mean, okay, well, I think this is a lesson not to say you would sell your soul to the devil for everything you want because you could joke about it, but they are serious as they yeah. are, they mean business. They hear you. They're, they're listening. They're waiting for someone who wants to sell their soul and they are going to come take it. And being a believer or wanting to believe in reincarnation, at least. Mm-hmm. If you sell your soul to the devil, that means you can't live all of your lives, probably. You can't be do cool things. So don't yeah, sell your soul to the devil. Although, I wonder if the devil would be okay sending someone to be reincarnated. If they're evil. Yeah, giving them like a, you're going to be bad. You're going to do bad things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope I never have to know. Yeah. I was talking about when I was in Spain with my cousin and her college roommate Emma we were talking a little bit about reincarnation and we were talking about the idea of like if you could choose what you come back as like do you think people could choose what they come back as and they were laughing because I was like yeah you can choose you can come back as someone's fleeting fart if you want (laughs) you could have the quickest life you want but I don't don't know about that (laughs) I like the idea that you can be whatever you want though yeah, but like it's like I think I'm going to be uh I don't know. I can't even think of things. A schoolabasta. I think you would be randomly assigned because there are a lot of even humans and places and creatures you wouldn't want to be, right? I've always admired ducks because when you have to they can go this this is, doesn't make sense. They can go both ways. Is that what you're saying? Like, their land, their sea, they just plop around. Oh. No one bothers them when they're... They're not like... People not bother like seagulls ducks. or pigeons where people are very somehow offended by their existence. Everyone is happy to see a duck. Yeah. I would... If, if that's the case, if you can choose, I would choose to come back as an animal that's going extinct. Help rebuild the population. Oh... Oh. Yeah. But I don't totally believe that you can choose. I think. Yeah, you probably can't. I don't know how things work. Yeah. I think there's a rhyme or reason and we're not the ones who control it. Do we even come back at all? Are we just talking gibberish? Yeah. Who the heck knows? Who knows? All right. What do you the have? The aliens probably know, but the government won't let <laughs> us talk to them. <laughs> all right. What story do you have? This is from Teresa. It is called The Time I Was Certain I Was Going to Lose My Soul. Oh. Hey there, Corinne. I had to check three times to make sure I spelled your name right. (laughs) Didn't want to look like a dummy, lol. And Sabrina. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yes, that is very nice. I found your guys' show about two weeks ago and have been binge listening to it during my 10-hour work days while driving heavy equipment. It keeps me awake, alert, and highly entertained. I usually don't share my ghost stories as a lot of people either don't like talking about the paranormal or think I'm cuckoo bananas if I do. (laughs) But you two seem very laid back and open, so I figured, why not? 
My ghost story starts a few years ago when my friend Sarah and I decided to use a Ouija board that I had gotten from a friend's mom. It was old, like made back in the 70s old. (laughs) I feel like everyone born in the 70s is going to be so offended by that statement. Someone tweeted at us the other day about how we call things old and they're like, (laughs) they're like, makes me feel old. Uh, It was old, like made back in the 70s old, and you could feel energy just rolling off of it. During this time in my life, my friend and I were both in dark places and generally not okay where our lives were headed. This is important as I feel whatever we came into contact with that night fed greatly into this. So we decided to distract ourselves and to test out the Ouija board, we'd go to the old, like graves from the early 1700s old graveyard (laughs) outside of our town. That's an old that's an old cemetery. I think that's okay to say old. That is very old. <laughs> 1970s or 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> the first couple times we went, we'd get a few answers here and there like, "Are there any spirits here?" and the board would answer, "Yes." Standard stuff. I like how it's like standard stuff, you know, just contacting the dead, the huge <laughs> standard Ouija board communication stuff. But the more we went, the darker and scarier it got. But we kept going back despite it all. It was almost as if we were being pulled back time and time again. It got to the point where stuff started following us home. I remember one particular night, something dark and terrifying contacted us. We could feel it all around us, pressing in on us. We quickly closed out the session, and as we were running back to our car, I could feel something following us. I turned around and yelled, you are not allowed to leave this graveyard. You are not allowed to follow us home. And there was silence followed by a bone chilling laugh that still haunts me to this day. (sighs) We thought we had only been there for 30 minutes at most. But when we got into the car, we realized we had been there for over three hours. What? Oh my God, my whole body. A few days later, I was asleep in bed, and it was still dark out, and I remember just snapping awake. Something told me to wake up and to wake up now, but not to move and not to make a sound. I lay there silently trying to figure out what was happening when something clamped down hard on my ankle. Nope, no, 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 no. Nope, nope, nope. Whatever it was that woke me up once again told me not to make a sound. Across from my bed was my closet. And on the door was a full-length mirror, which you could see the bottom half of my bed in. At the bottom of my bed, with its hand stretched out, holding onto my ankle, was this hideous creature. (gasps) I still cannot accurately describe to this day. It looked like an old lady, but her features were twisted and distorted, and she looked demonic. And the energy rolling off of her was pure evil. (sighs) No. And all of a sudden, she yanked me down my bed. Oh, I'm getting a lot of bed yanking in this episode. Yeah, the worst. Whatever woke me up told me that if I screamed or if she got me off of the bed, she would steal my soul. Uh, I don't know how, but I recalled an old warding prayer I had found years ago from my research into Sumerian. Yeah, Sumerian. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Sumerian religion. I screamed it inside of my head and just like that, it was gone. And I blacked out. What? When I woke up in the morning, my foot was hanging off of the bed and all of my blankets and sheets 
were drugged towards the end of the bed, just like someone had tried to pull me out Ugh. of the bed. I knew it wasn't a dream because for weeks after that, my ankle hurt bad enough that I had trouble walking on it and still have flare-ups to this day. Whoa. After I put the Sumerian warding symbols around the outside of my house and the windows and doors of my room, I haven't seen that creature again, but I will never forget what it looked like. Hope you enjoyed my terrifying encounter and continue the good work with regards, Teresa. Okay, I am so, so, so curious if her friend had any horrifying experience similar to that. Yeah. Because they were doing it together. Or was Teresa more targeted because she was the one that challenged the Mm. spirit when leaving the cemetery saying like, you're not allowed to like, "Mm -mm, don't follow me. I'm the boss. You're not allowed to come with me. And then the entity is like, LOL, you child, I will come torture you. Which terrifies me because I fully believe that if you vocalize saying, you are not welcome here that it will work and that right. this story kind of negates that is terrifying Hmm. i know it feels conditional now yeah oh no they've learned Three how to hours. overcome it's us like loss of time it's selling stealing souls it's demonic entities following you i just can't believe that they were that they thought they were there for only 30 minutes and yet they were there for three hours that's just as crazy that's manipulation yes and i also feel like it kind of goes in tandem with the conversations we have about alien abductions or also just like really intense paranormal events where they the the concept of time changes and it right yeah it is manipulative but it's also this weird yeah, I wonder, there's correlation, like, I, I don't know what it is, and it's a little bit confounding, but I feel like there's a deeper meaning to that, and w- why these specific instances have that, I feel like there's there's something more to it that I cannot tap into, because my human little brain is too small and tiny. Our little pea brains. Yeah, we hardly use half of it. It's just water and jello, <laughs> and true crime facts and ghost stories. I once, side story. So when I worked at Warner Brothers my first year after graduating, all the PAs, they like to do this thing on Halloween where hazing is the only word I can think of. It's not, it wasn't bad, but basically they made these brain jello molds and uh, put all the PAs at a table and everyone at the office stood around and watched as the PAs had, it was like a competition of who could eat it the fastest. And they put like condensed milk in it to make the jello molds. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever done. Ew, that's really gross. But also, that's a great Halloween idea. Yeah. Halloween party. Yes. But yeah. everyone needs to participate. It shouldn't just be the production assistants. Yeah, not <laughs> hazing. I mean, it was fun. I, I was like on board for it, but it was just like, it would be more fun if everyone was doing it. <laughs> gross. <laughs> but um, yeah, Teresa's story is really scary. And again, another story that makes me want to avoid Ouija boards even more. Yeah, some people can use them correctly, but we are not people who are going to take the risk at this point in our lives. Yeah, I'm too old for this stuff. Too old. Like 1700s old. I was about to say like 1970s (laughs) old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I appreciate that. I feel like also it's old to to us because it's predating, it predates our existence. That's why it feels old. Yeah, right, because we didn't, experience it ourselves we just see photographs of it so seeing photographs from the 70s doesn't feel any different than 
seeing photographs from the 1920s, you know? Like, we weren't there. Right. I mean, aside from the quality of photos and the outfits and (laughs) all those things, those elements. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, back to ghost stories. Please send them to us or alien encounters. And also, if you were born in the 70s, you're 100% not old. Not at all. Not not even. You're not old unless you were born in 19, in the 1920s because... Then they're nearing 100 like get you're getting to be 100 years old which is amazing and yeah, you'll join the the few in the world that are centennials that's kind of amazing i hope you eat all the burrata in the world and drink so much rosé oh yeah and play shuffleboard all day and tell everyone to fuck off <laughs> do whatever you want at that point in your life um but yeah send us all your stories we want them all we want them scary. We want them happy because we like to balance it out, good and evil. And uh, we have live shows coming up, and we really were so excited about them. We're picking great topics. They're going to be so much fun. Yes, and the if people come to them, we hopefully will get booked by other theaters in other cities as well. So show us your support in Nashville. And also in New York. Nashville is June 16th, which my mom and her friend are flying out for because they've never been to Nashville. So even if is you haven't Father's been... Day? What? I think it's Father's Day for the dads. Oh, yeah. Bring, bring your, your dad. dads. Tell them you have a surprise and you're planning this whole fun thing and then just bring them to our show. And Sabrina will open the show with a bunch of our favorite dad jokes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Should we do a dad joke segment? <gasps> should we do I a Haunted we Dads episode? Is that going to be our live show topic? It's going to be pretty limited. <laughs> Can we pre-announce it? But I mean, I think we already have a topic, but maybe we'll do a haunted dad's section. Okay. In awesome. honor of dads. I'll ask my dad for his scariest stories that I have not shared yet, and maybe I'll tell everyone. Oh, I'll do the same. Haunted dads. Haunted dads. But bring your dad. And then in New York, July 14th, hopefully we have a link. Everything's on our website. If you have any questions, Please email us, put in the subject line like New York show or Nashville show and we'll answer it and um, try to help you. We're really excited and it's going to be fun and we're excited to meet people at our shows. So if you get the VIP ticket, you get to hang out, uh, hang out with us after the show. Or like we get to hang out with you. That's true. We get excited. Uh, you can support us by buying merch. You can also support us by donating to our Patreon, which gives a lot of the tiers give you discounts on merch and also... Uh, what else? Helps us do live shows. <laughs> yeah, but also we, we have cool bonuses like picking topics and getting shout outs on encounters and we send stickers to everyone. And moving your email submission to the top of the queue. Mm-hmm. So even for just a dollar a month, you can be a Patreon donor. You can also rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And one of the biggest things is word of mouth. That's how people will find us. Yes. So... Tell everybody. And we will see you on the other side. Very spooky.